Welcome back to the High and Low Podcast with me, Bravo Bravo Ducking Bravo. This podcast is all things Salt Lake City. I'm sitting here with an eye twitch that I've had for almost 24 hours because I have been neck deep in Salt Lake City. I have wandered the salt flats. I've been doing nothing but binge watching 10 episodes. Then as part of my research, I went back and I looked at all of what Reality Von Teese 2 posted from three years ago. To my dismay, I saw myself in there quite a few times. And uh, it just brought it all back to me and how eager that account was to have anyone pick up on what they were saying and sharing about Jen. We're going to start going back what stood out. I'm going to tell you what stood out to me going back and watching that many episodes. And I have got a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts and a lot of opinions on this. We're going to talk about reunion part one. And we're going to talk about, most importantly, all of this side tea that keeps getting spilled by these different camps. Everybody is posting on social media, they're sharing things, they're leaking texts and voicemails. Stuff was even leaked two hours ago, and I've made a timeline, and I'm going to explain it to you from top to bottom as far as what, what's been leaked so far and what I make of it. Looking back at all those episodes, the thing that stood out to me the most, Lisa just had a feeling, and she probably is kicking herself for not going with it, but she felt like something with Monica was fake. Especially the mom stuff, because even when I turned it on maybe a week or so ago, feels like a week, I brought, it was probably three days. In fact, I think it was three days. And I showed everybody that I was catching up and I was laughing at the scene in the Mexican restaurant between Monica and her mom, Linda, when Linda's just crying and the closed captioning said, Linda crying, continues crying, Linda continues crying. And I was cracking up because Monica was stone-faced the whole time. That quote, Linda continues crying and she was kind of do like the kind of doing like a silent wail. You know, it it felt very telenovela. I laughed and I said in my story, like, I'm sorry if this is actually something really serious, but it's also hilarious right now. And I think Lisa felt that telenovela aspect because it seemed so overly dramatic. It seemed like her mom was either the most melodramatic person to ever live and Monica was so used to it that she had no reaction back. And now that we know what we know about Monica, not even the reality of Auntie's part, but the recordings of her and her mother that were released fighting about screen time and her needing to have more screen time to be a star. Now I'm looking at all of it a lot differently. I was already, I was, my spidey senses were already going, but now I'm like, okay. It's like, here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. Like, hey, this is your chance to to get us out of this modest ranch. Oh, Monica, you get out there and you tap dance for them Bravo loving folks. You get yourself on camera as much as possible. You hear me? I'm going to cry over guacamole. And I wrote down a quote from Lisa that made me laugh really hard from episode seven. It was the episode. It really should go down in Bravo history as I think one of the best episodes of Salt Lake City. It's Whitney's prism jewelry launch event. And before they even get there, Lisa is hearing about this drama between Monica and her mother. And she says, I love when things are conveniently abusive because Monica was going around telling people that her mother's very abusive in their relationship. And that prism jewelry event where Angie is in between Lisa Barlow and Monica and Lisa calls Angie being fake. (laughs) Sorry, there's going to be cursing in this episode. I apologize because I know I said this is going to be a family show and you can have it on in the background. They're, they're potty mouths in Salt Lake City. I don't know what to tell you. For me to bleep all this out, I can't do it. 
Lisa Barlow turns to Angie and says, don't be fake as fuck talking to Monica. (laughs) And they just keep whispering this. Why are they whispering this? They're whispering it because the sound bath was going on. I'm sorry, but few things are funnier in life than angry whispering. The fight whisper, it's a lost art. And they were going back and forth, rapid fire, not missing a beat. And you could see the look on Lisa's face. She was willing to make a scene. She was incapable of harnessing her her anger and her rage. They had to have the last word on each other. And I'm saying to myself, like, this is all sober. I don't need these drunken Real Housewives moments. I just need someone who's so mad that they can't not fight with someone during a sound bath. That's all we need on Bravo. Moreover about Lisa Barlow, I noticed how Heather was wooing her this season. And they made a point of even talking about it. She has Lisa over to her house. I think it was episode eight. And she has every food that we all know Lisa loves like a cliche. You know, the Wendy's and chicken nuggets. It all looked great because per usual, I was on a gummy and I thought, "Mm, I would run through a plate of glass for a little bit of that right now. Mm -mm -mm. But anyway, she's working really hard. And there were several moments in the season where she almost got angry or jealous, resentful, whatever word you want to place there about the relationship that Whitney and Lisa seem to have cultivated that seems very close as well. I found it all really interesting about how badly they all wanted to be Lisa's friend. I should say Heather more. Whitney seems like she's coming at it from a very real place of like, hey, I've got my boundaries and here's where they are and da da da. And they've had their issues. But for Heather, she's trying very hard, I thought. Not that it wasn't great television and an instant classic, but why would you have Lisa Barlow come to your book event and sing Away in a Manger? I loved it. I'm not saying I didn't love it. Not saying that it's uh, not something that I would like to hear on SoundCloud. And you know what? The choir. They brought in a whole choir and then they didn't sing. I think they clapped to a beat for her. Just give her like some background oohs, something. I didn't hear any of that. What a waste. Another suspicious moment for me was when Monica's mom allegedly just took her car because she was upset with her and brings it back and she's got the Marge ponytails and she's got the 2003 Burberry, you know, everywhere, head to toe and her little clogs. And she's like, I'm sorry, I want to be better. We need to go to therapy. I was like, I feel like this is fake. It's just what I feel. How she had to have known you were filming today to get all gussied up in her Burberry best and come be bopping over here with your matte blacked out Land Rover despite your humble home. Felt weird to me. And something about the matte blacked out Land Rover. I think Monica is a huge Kardashian Stan fan, possibly obsessed because they're kind of known for that. I don't know if they started it, if they're just all about it, that kind of like matte blacked out vehicle. But then her kids' names being West and Kendall, it's just, what are the odds? That's just the vibe I'm getting, that this person is very much a fan of and looks at reality TV stars in an aspirational way, so much so that children's names, type of vehicle, any kind of thing that you can control in your atmosphere to be similar, she has done. Something else that stood out to me was the Pioneer event where they were wearing the bonnets after bumping heads, bumping heads, Mothra, Godzilla, two eagles entangling their talons and spinning towards the earth, hurling in a death spiral. Monica switches tactics with Lisa and goes from head-to-head combat to crying. I say switches tactics because I think she's that smart. I wonder 
if after locking horns for that long, she played a different direction and it worked. Lisa stood up and walked over her and said, I'm sorry if I didn't reflect to you that I understand that your mother is hard on you. And they essentially made peace before their Bermuda trip. And God, that was a good episode with Meredith just shaking that cream. Meredith wouldn't give up. They gave him little mason jars full of heavy cream and they said, shake these for six minutes. It'll turn into butter. And she wanted to get that done. She was the only one that was very dedicated. Whenever there was an awkward moment between fighting, you would just cut over to Meredith shaking that cream. It was great. But other than a possible tactic switch by Monica, the thing that stood out to me the most in that episode was Heather kind of confronting Monica, challenging her and saying, wait, how are you flipping this? As all of us attacking you, you and Lisa were going back and forth and now you're playing a victim as if we've all been piling on you when we haven't. And Heather's entire attitude towards Monica, I felt a shift. And there are moments that I forgot Mary was even part of this. You want to talk mafia? She was like a Godfather-esque character to me. Mostly through the season, people would just go pay her visits, visits of respect in her very colorful Tiffany blue kitchen with chairs that look like they're out of Alice in Wonderland, and they would sit and have what looked like really good carrot cake. And Monica did a pretty stellar Lisa Barlow impersonation for Mary at that little cake luncheon. It was it was one of the better ones I've heard, so she's definitely a student of her craft. I loved that this season, Lisa was so open and honest and clear in her boundaries with Meredith of like, I do not like you walking around talking about Angie's husband and I can ruin you and all this. She like really made it very clear to her that that's not how we should be behaving and I don't like it. And that big fight between Whitney and Lisa, Whitney's best friend passes away from cancer and she still goes to an event the next day and she just feels like Lisa is is almost ignoring her from not knowing what to say to her in this moment of grief was such a learning moment, I think, for a lot of people who are not good at being around someone who's dealing with tremendous grief. She sent flowers. She thought she was doing the right things. She didn't want to upset her in public or make her cry. So I can understand both sides of it. It's amazing to see Lisa, though, in action. She's just so real and authentic. And she rips off that mic and she's truly upset about having upset someone. And that's not what she was trying to do. And Whitney at the same time is so disappointed and rightly so. And Lisa just repeating, but I sent flowers. Flowers are on the way to your house. Yeah, I got flowers though. It was just this comedy tragedy mix, but it was also reminiscent of like Anchorman when he's like, if I were to give you all the money out of my wallet, would that ease the pain when someone is crying in his presence? And I noticed something about the episode where they're all packing to go to Bermuda and that's Heather planting these seeds with Lisa that Whitney is saying that she's helping Lisa by being her friend, helping her to be a better person. And the way that as soon as Heather saw that that was having the intended effect and making Lisa mad, she kept ratcheting it up with an innocent demeanor and like she wasn't understanding why that would irritate Lisa. Red flags. That's the bathtub episode where <laughs> Meredith cannot get over that they did not give her a room in the bathtub when she took two sleeping pills and did not feel good when they got there. Also, I want to party with Meredith because that sounds like a good time. And all she wanted was a bathtub. So much so that Whitney on the van to the house said, we just need to make sure she gets a room with a bathtub. And they all race 
They race to snatch up a good room. And of course, that's not Meredith style. She's a true gangster. She walks. All right. By the time everyone has gotten their room, the one left for her has no bathtub. And she, the drama that ensues over that bathtub, forget opera houses. You could make an entire HBO series about rich ladies fighting over who got a bathtub and who didn't. To some, it would be a minor inconvenience. To others, we see it for the lack of respect and consideration that it was. Even Whitney, the person who said we need to make sure she gets a bathtub, she had a bathtub. All of the ladies had one except for her and no one would give it up. No one. Heather and Lisa laughed upon hearing it how bad she wanted a bathtub. <laughs> they said she'll be fine. And Lisa, per usual, had such great one-liners. She said in her confessional, I understand she has an obsession with bathtubs, but I have an obsession with good views and I'm not giving it up. And the ladies on the beach doing a rum tasting while Meredith is comatose in bed with one eye half open, getting an IV from a medic. And she rallies and comes down. They get in the van to go to dinner and she demands to know who here has a bathtub. And it cuts to Whitney taking a bath before they went to dinner. Oh, it's so good. But at that dinner, I thought it was great because that's where Whitney just calls Heather out and says, you're meddling in my friendship with Lisa. This is why we don't talk about how close we are because people will try to ruin it. So it's at this point that we really start focusing on this Greek mafia, anonymous DMs. They're up late. Meredith has been kind of isolated because of this bathtub incident. And Monica has been by her side through it. Now, she didn't give up her room. She's not looking to make an ally that bad. But she brought her food when she wasn't feeling good. She's hanging out with her late at night. And she takes the opportunity to ask her about some random DMs they both got. And I noticed Meredith's face like she was uncomfortable and didn't really want to be talking about it. And Monica wanted to be talking about it on camera. That was my perception. And as she's not wanting to talk about it, Monica's feeding her like a little pathway, leaving her a little breadcrumb pathway of like, remember, remember we were walking and remember you said the thing about the mafia, remember? And you called me and said, did you get the DMs? And Meredith's whole demeanor went from friendly, bonding to pulling back, shutting down, disengaging. All right. But then the next day is Monica's 39th birthday. And this episode is where, to me, she's jumping the shark. She's trying too hard. She's laying it on too thick. She juggled too many plates at once. She flew too close to the Utah sun, Bermuda sun, as it were, because the episode starts with Heather having these like party city decorations for her at breakfast. Everybody comes out. They just literally blow up a few balloons. They've got banners. She comes out. She sits down. She starts crying and saying, I have never had a birthday like this in my life. On social media, which can be deceiving, she seems to have a large group of friends that she goes out with often. She's tagged in a Jen Shaw video from 2020 with a ton of Party City stuff where they're celebrating Jen Shaw. It's like nobody's ever done anything like that for your birthday. If that is true, that is very sad and we feel for her. But it's also a way to garner sympathy from the group. And from there, that episode, I think, just set up this unsustainable house of cards for Monica. She's just in too deep, doing too much. 
do less should have been her motto. So on top of that, of saying she's never had a birthday this nice, my mom is so mean to me, this entire time she was building up the, I have family in Bermuda. Part of the reason we're going to Bermuda is because my grandma brought me here, just building it up, 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 building it up. I'm going to meet family while I'm here. That's so important to me. I don't know a lot about myself. Building it up, building it up. I'm so excited. I'm going to meet them on my birthday. On my birthday, I'm going to go meet family. And then, of course, she gets a text. She runs off. She's crying. They've canceled on her. The group rallies around her. She blames her mother. I, in that moment, I just, there were some facial expressions. It was the storytelling formula. Go rent or buy any book about storytelling, script writing or storytelling. And there's an important element raising the stakes. And that's where our protagonist is going to face a challenge and it's just a classic formula to keep the audience engaged. Like nobody's story is just happy all the way through. Some challenge has to come up. And there were also some moments in the van where she almost smiles. And it reminded me of a term, duping delight. I think it might be an FBI term. It's just about like when someone thinks they're pulling one over on either law enforcement or whatever, they almost get giddy. It's Lisa who brings her back to the van. It's Lisa who runs back out of the van to get her shoe. And I'm yelling at the TV, Lisa, I feel like this is the energy vampire you're talking about. This feels like energy vampire stuff, 101. And then on top of all that, she's gone to Lisa to entrust in her that she's so confused because it seems like Meredith is planting this Greek mafia stuff and now won't acknowledge the DMs. She called Monica and told her to look for these DMs and they match what Meredith told her about the Greek mafia and financial information about Angie. And I swear this is where the eye twitch started. It's still going right now. I'm going to have to gummy myself and just pass out because I think that she is a student of the show. Getting cast on this show was like the big leagues. She had to leave it all in the field. I think she emptied every bag of tricks she could. I think she has been watching that show like a hawk for the past few years. So she understands each woman and what drives her. Of course she would know. Of course she would know that Lisa is going to be hypersensitive after the SEC stuff came out about her business and the rift that that caused between her and Meredith. She has seen Lisa go off on Meredith about this subject matter. And so she's feeding it. She's throwing coal into a furnace, a hot churning furnace and watching the steam just come out of Lisa's ears. And so what does Lisa do? She tells Angie, I couldn't believe it. She went right to her, told her exactly what was being said. And she's fallen for it, hook, line and sinker, right? That Look, Meredith is plotting again. She's back to her old ways. I told her to stop doing stuff like this. I told her point blank when we went to lunch, I don't like this kind of thing. And at this crazy, surreal pirate birthday dinner where they're actually dressed like pirates, they lay into Meredith. They all let her have it. And Lisa is fed up and she is completely believing. And again, this is just my theory that I think this is all Monica. But we don't have any proof of this. I have no receipts. I'm just saying to me, this is a concocted storyline by Monica slash maybe and her mother slash maybe and Tanisha slash maybe Koa's involved. I have no idea. Meredith did not stand a chance at that dinner. She's getting it from everybody at that table with Lisa leading the charge saying she's going to get her cybersecurity team. What doesn't Lisa have? <laughs> she's got 
10 law firms, a cybersecurity team, and why not? Right. But she's going to get her cybersecurity team on it if there's any more suspicious anonymous DMs coming with dirt on people. The other thing that convinced me that this was probably a storyline was the yacht trip, which is the next episode. It's the episode before the finale where they're all going after Meredith. Like she can't even come up for air. She's trying to go and tell Angie like, hey, look, what really happened was Monica said all of this and I got suspicious DMs that correlated to what she was saying. So I asked her about it, period. It wasn't a plot by me. And she really, nobody's believing her. Lisa's going off. She's like, Meredith, stop lying. You effed up. You're hurting people. You're losing all your friends. Liar. And that's when Meredith is trying to confront Monica too. Like, what are you doing? And what do we see happening during all this chaos and strife? Lisa screaming at the top of her lungs. Meredith trying to defend herself. Cut to Monica. Monica is eating tacos. Eating tacos, enjoying the show. Are you not entertained by her handiwork? The best part of that entire altercation between Meredith and Lisa is that they both really went far. But then when they get back in the van, you know, Meredith realizes that if anybody is going to appreciate the news that Brooks signed with Ford Models, it's going to be Lisa. And they bond over it. And they're back to giggling like sisters in no time. And boy, oh boy, did that bother Monica. All her handiwork might have gone out the window because Brooke said, lean into Lisa, she knows who you are. So there's a lot of spinning plates on this trip. And a lot of them are based on he said, she said, trying to make it seem like uh, so many red herrings. The finale episode, we see a different Heather. There's a moment when they're in the perfume shop and Heather says she forgot her credit card and asks Monica if she can pay for her expensive tailor-made perfume. And Heather turns and gives her a look and it's the exact same look she gave. It's a famous Bravo meme we use where she's wearing the black puffer jacket and she's turning and looking. You can just see like one of her eyes. <laughs> and that was that exact same facial expression. Later on, we find out that she said she had her suspicion. She was told something and she sent a bunch of stuff to and it was bleeped out as to who she sent it to. And she said, and they figured it out. They confirmed it for me that it was Monica. I want to know who the heck is the bleep. Is it just a friend, like a good friend, like any of us have, where it's like, give me a first name, give me a color of his car and I got you. I'll get you everything you know in 15 minutes. Or was it like a professional business? I'm curious. I see now that it kind of all came crashing down on Heather. Not only does she figure out that this person, Monica, when she goes to get her a gift card at Beauty Lab, has two other alias last names and owes her money. She gets a little weirded out by her, so she asks her hairdresser, who has always claimed to have known her and been friends with her, what's up with this person? Why am I feeling this? And that's when Tanisha, the hairdresser that Heather has had for three years, and that's as long as the reality of Auntie's account has been alive, that the hairdresser breaks, quote, has a change of heart and tells Heather everything, that, quote, Monica is behind it and sends her all the screenshots and DMs proving that Monica has been populating content or had been for that account. The last time that account posted anything was August of 2022. So I ask myself if the impact would have been the same if Monica hadn't been reality Vontis, but also delinquent on bills to Beauty Lab and have other aliases. 
I think it was all too much. Just imagine getting screenshots from your hairdresser all day and feeling that cold chill of realization this has been going on and your hairdresser knew about it, but you now want to keep her on your side because you want all the proof and evidence she has, I'm sure. And you probably like how she does your hair as well. I cut my hair over a sink with scissors last time I needed a cut. I can't find a place that I like to save my life. All right. Meanwhile, we got Heather being willing to overlook all of this for a good hairdresser. I get it. I get it. We got Kim Zolciak on a police cam with Croy screaming that they have no money, still making time to go to the hairdresser. That's loyalty. That's when you find a good thing, you hold on to it. I get it. So Heather had a few hours to decide how she was going to tell the ladies about this. I thought it was interesting that she had Lisa come to the beach, Whitney come to the beach, Meredith come to the beach. Not Angie. Poor Angie. With her giant sunglasses just up at the house. Red Rover, Red Rover. Let everyone but Angie come over. But she had them, those ladies come to the beach and she tells them Monica is not who she says she is. She is the internet cyber bully and troll that has come after all of us, reality Vontees. So that was the intro. She hyped him. As far as I can see, that is not true. And I would love for them to prove me wrong. I would love for all the ladies of Salt Lake City to show how reality Vontees, that account, came for them. Because from what I can see, it was very focused myopically on Jen Shaw. But that moment is so emotional, this crescendo. Heather builds it up and then it comes crashing down around them that this internet troll has infiltrated their group and been pretending to be their friend. And it is extremely dramatic and it is peak reality television. But I also think that Heather orchestrated that perfectly. She got a group around her. She has an alliance. She has a pact going into dinner. And I don't know how they sat there for as long as they did before it came out. It was kind of impressive to see. And they say they're going to play a game. It's called the Bermuda Triangle Mystery Question Game. Okay. They each had little dolls on their plates and they got to ask the person represented by the doll a question. Whitney's a good sport. Lisa's a good sport. So they kick it off by kind of grilling each other. And then when they're done, Heather picks it up. Even though Heather has the little Meredith doll, she asks about Monica. So I'm like, why did we even play this game? Why didn't you just give yourself the Monica doll? So that was a little bit confusing to me. But anyway, maybe they just jumped the gun and they were just tired of waiting and dinner was taking too long. And I think they were also cold because they were also wrapped up in blankets. So Heather starts with, who is the real Monica? And then she goes on her soliloquy, which was pretty impressive if she didn't have any cue cards or anything. And she was just sort of going off the cuff. I'd love to see the unedited footage. I'd love to know how long that rant actually was and how many succinct portions they clipped out of it to put it together or if she nailed it. You know, did she practice it in her room? I don't know. Receipts. Proof. Timeline. Receipts. No, wait. I already said receipts. Okay, hold on. So it has to go. Receipts. Proof. Timeline. Screenshots. That's it. And Monica handled all of that pretty well, I would say. She seemed almost irritated that Heather brought it up like, oh, God, this. Because remember, she hasn't posted. Nobody has posted, whether or not it's her or Tanisha or someone else. No one has posted since August of 2022. 
So it really was only like a year and some change that that account was active and pushing things out. And again, to me, it was mostly Jen focused, but she is getting hit and she's like, it's, well, it's not all the way true. Uh, well, you know, Angie was involved looking for anything to stick. And she's saying Angie was involved because Angie laughed. Angie K laughed and sent some replies back to that account when they would post snarky things about Jen. Understandable. Doesn't make her involved, but nice try. Now, it's important to remember when those audio recordings dropped in March of 2021, it shook all Salt Lake City fans. I remember being just in a spiral like, what? Because Jen Shaw had portrayed herself to be just the coolest, most fun boss ever. We roller skate in my office. We hula hoop for no apparent reason. They hand feed me. We have a microphone that's very loud for no reason that we sing into in enclosed spaces. So Jen really had us all fooled that she was just so fun, so fancy free. She had figured out this money tree with like online consumer marketing and she was just raking it in, right? At the same time, she always had this dress thing on the side that never made any sense. And I ask myself now, was that money laundering? I'm sure they would have looked into it and figured it out at this point, but I, I put nothing past her because she had Koa, who was barely 30, and they had this side business of a dress company. But I would click around and it would say, if you would like a custom, you know, design gown, enter your information here. They never had anything for sale that I recall. It just showed what he had made Jen for random beach salt flats, photo shoots, so when that audio dropped, the entire Bravo sphere was disgusted. There were very, very, very few people who aligned themselves with Jen and said, maybe she was having a bad day. We don't know what led up to this. Most people were like, hey, that was a solid 10 minute rant from a position of power to a person with no power, a person saying that they were not even compensated for their work and that this is the work environment that they've been putting up with. We're going to believe the worker. So keeping that in context, some of the things the lady said upon finding out that Monica was involved or it was reality Von Teese, was Lisa saying, you took video of her and you released her. Are you going to do that to us? And Monica says, no, if you don't abuse your employees, you have nothing to worry about. Heather says a few times, you don't deserve to be at this table with us. So yes, Monica is shady. She is calculating. She, I think, is manipulative. She's made for reality TV. She's like been drinking the reality TV Kool-Aid for a long time, I think. But what I don't like is them making it seem like she's not good enough because what she's done is so disgusting and so reprehensible that they cannot even be associated with it. And I'm like, you were still hanging out with Jen Shaw, laughing with her, going out to lunches with her. And I think that thought was crossing Monica's mind as well, because she really loses it on Lisa, delivering one of the most amazing, very long winded burns I've ever seen on Real Housewives. I'm about to read it uh, theatrically for you. Curses are coming. If you got little kids around, mute this part. Fuck you, you old, dumb, piece of shit, leather rubbery bitch Donald Trump fan. First of all, do you know how much play that clip is going to get next year? Quite a lot. But Monica had had it. She was done. She had tried to play nice. She had tried to come up with excuses. She had tried to connect with them and say, I was trying to take Jen down and none of it was working. And she snapped 
And she reverted back to episode one through eight, Monica, who was willing to get into it with Lisa. Verbal fisticuffs rather than the feel sorry for me angle. Everyone's going off in their own direction. Meredith's yelling that she has a video from the store showing that Monica had been there before, specifically on the day where the clutch was stolen, then, or mistakenly taken, we don't care anymore. And she says, why did you lie to me? Why did she? Why? Why bother saying, oh, this is so cute. Oh my God, I've never been here before. Didn't need to say it. But when they finally showed the reality of Antis account, the producers of the show put down at the bottom, repost of a reposted IG story for the stuff that was inflammatory about the others at the table. Those were not things that the Reality Vontese account said. They were sharing it to show the bad things being said by housewives about other housewives. But for whatever reason, they all have the same opinion that the Reality Vontese account was a troll account towards all of them as well, not just Jen Shaw. But just based on that production note at the bottom of the screen and the examples that were shown, I don't think production thinks that. And for the timeline's sake, those recordings of Jen Shaw without her knowledge, where she's screaming at Koa and telling him she's going to fight him and whatever, just like threats of physical violence and screaming at him because he's not making her reunion dress fast enough to her liking, right? All of that happened and was released around March 1st, 2021. The cease and desist by Jen Shaw to Monica Fowler, Koa, and others was written on March 5th, four days later. And the Bravo sphere was chaos. But again, Heather was backing Koa at the time, saying that's not right. So Heather stands up. She's got more to say. I'm going to read her soliloquy. We are friends. We have been through this BS with Jen. For years, we were afraid. We would wake up sick about lies. We were in it with her. We were ride or die. Oh, we shut down feelings of doubt, things that made no sense. Who you are made no sense. The way you acted was strangely familiar. Pain we went through, we were tormented. Quote, I ate shit every day for her. I felt like I had to lie to protect her. I did whatever it took. I defended her on my book tour. I took shit for the fact that she gave me a black eye. So a couple of thoughts about Heather's speeches. I think I misunderstood her when I first heard it. I think she was saying, we're not doing this again. We've been fooled by someone. We've put up with enough in this group. We're not having these weird Decepticon friends who are not really who they say they are. And that level of chaos and drama is something we don't want. That's how I see what she was saying now. It just, it took a minute for her to get there because she built it up with the Jen Shaw thing. I think because she was just focused on where she wanted to get to, which was she wanted to tell people about the black eye. She wanted to drop that hammer. I don't know what we're trying to do with this black eye situation. There was an investigation that Bravo did that came up with no wrongdoing. So I don't know if Heather wasn't truthful with Bravo when they did the investigation or what happened, but if Jen actually physically assaulted her, that's horrible. Jen is saying she didn't and that she's going to sue Bravo and Andy and everybody else if they don't stop accusing her of that physical violence. That's per her camp, quoted from Marillo on Jenny Bravo and Blaze's 
interview with him the day of the reunion. Monica's reaction is, good. Glad you finally told the truth for once. And Heather keeps going. She's kind of like not done. She's like, I had to write hard for her. I had to lie for her. I'm not doing it again. Pack your bags and go. So Monica, who had been bundled up in a whoopee and then angrily, you know, yelling and pointing at the table, just gets up and walks out. It was a peaceful ending. It was a peaceful transfer of power. Make no mistake, that's what it was. All of that power that Monica had accrued with the sympathy and empathy and connections with the women, gone. All that energy and power and influence shot up into the atmosphere and flowed back down into Heather. I don't know if she slept for two days. I think she'd just be up blinking like, whoa, I've got the reins. And two days is about what she had before people started leaking documentation and receipts and other things that now don't look so great on her. Now, I think Bravo wants to keep Monica because at the end of the episode, they went back to her. And she said, you know, even Gossip Girl can't stay Gossip Girl forever, all that stuff. And she says, there's so much more to the story and you're going to want to hear it. And that's after they did the end cards for everybody. And that's a big question right now is what did Bravo know and when? Monica apparently started going back and forth with casting for Salt Lake City eight months after she had been given the cease and desist by Jen. The email that's been circulating everywhere from production showing that she reached out about casting for Salt Lake City on November 1st, exactly eight months later, with the same last name, Fowler, that was used in the Jen Shaw cease and desist. Jen's camp has reached out and confirmed that Jen gave Bravo a copy of the cease and desist. So all signs are pointing to Bravo had the information, whether or not anybody put two and two together, it's possible that they did not put it together, that it's the same Monica or that Monica Fowler is the Monica Fowler reaching out about casting. Could be different apartments, different people, who knows. If they knew, then I don't think that they thought it was that bad and maybe they thought it would be good TV at some point. That's if they knew. Because there's no way for them to know about the debt at Beauty Lab. There's no way for them to know about the drive-bys. I mean, it's not like Tanisha had spilled the beans to Bravo. She hadn't broken yet. So Heather got that wave of information of additional things. What did creep me out was the text back and forth between Monica and Tanisha showing Monica saying, hey, give me Heather's address. I'm in her area. I just want to drive by and see what her place looks like or something. I don't like that. She's got a thing about drive-bys now. And as all of this is happening on social media, stuff's flying. Jen's team posting things. Like, I get it. This is what we train for. But with so many different channels for people to communicate these days, it feels like you're in one of those money things where the money's flying around like a tornado and you're trying to catch all the information. And you're like, but who said what, when, and what's the timeline? And what's the trustworthiness factor of this person? And what's in it for them? And does that image look like it was manipulated? And who are those people? And how can I fact check any of this? One of the loudest voices in that milieu is Jen Shaw. Just sending out messages from behind bars like any good kingpin. And then lo and behold, the reunion part one, Andy's very first question to the ladies is about Jen Shaw. He asked, what's it like filming without Jen? And you know, she's just in prison loving hearing that. For someone like Jen, 
all press is good press. If her name is being uttered, it's a good day. The whole world is Barbie. She is Ken. She just wants to be talked about and acknowledged. So I found that frustrating. I was like, Andrew, not the first question. She's going to love that. But the point of it was him asking, do you all still believe in Jen Shaw's innocence the way they were backing her without question, despite evidence last year? And they all say no, a resounding no. We do not continue to believe Jen Shaw. Good for the ladies. It was a slow burn. It took a while, but they got there. Pretty immediately, we jump into focusing on Monica, asking how Monica came to know Jen, uh, asking about how Monica pointed out Lisa's materialism and why that bothered her so much, and really getting to the heart of Monica feels less than because she doesn't have the levels of wealth that these women do. She called herself a whore. She said, quote, what do I bring to the table? In my mind, I'm saying, I'm a whore. I'm going through a divorce with four kids. I have a 3,000 square foot home. Record scratch. This is where the internet does not play. And there are no days off. Because immediately we start seeing things popping up on the internet saying, like, excuse me, did you just say 3,000 square feet? Because that home was in no way 3,000 square feet. In fact, we're going to prove it to you. Here's a listing and it says less than 2,000 square feet. Thank you for playing. The hilarity of that self-depreciating rant. And then she fumbles it because she just, she got a little too playful with the square footage. From there, they dive back into the ring and whether or not Monica stole the ring. She says she didn't even go into the bathroom until 20, 30 minutes after Lisa lost it. So it wouldn't have been her that scooped it up. Angie pipes in and Monica goes a little bad girls club. That's the thing about Monica. She's got a little bad girls club in her and she says, why are you talking, you bench warming bitch? Then there's a really good line. This doesn't involve you like most of the season. Let me just say the dress that she had on. I love it. Beautiful fabric. I love the way it was cut. It had like one shoulder detail. Of course, Koa made it. That dress is gorgeous. I mean, and Koa is so talented. I feel like he should be hired by Jessica McClintock or some amazing prom or wedding dress maker. Can you imagine? It's just, it's stunning. And he only ever makes bespoke pieces, I believe. I don't know if he has a storefront. Then there were a lot of questions posed to Monica of exactly how she got connected with Jen. And it was obvious they were trying to prove that she was trying to weasel her way onto the show. Look, time out. We've seen this a lot. Other franchises, other cities. People have said for years, the level of effort that Madison put into getting on Southern Charm, dating Austin, this and that, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that that is such a big deal. Again, with Monica, I think the issue is a thousand drops in the bucket and they're at a tipping point. But it did get weird because Monica says, no, we were friends. Jen and I were friends first. And I just started helping her out, you know, like helping a friend, helping her how they ask, helping just with her life. Like I would just get her groceries. I'd, I would just, you know, make her show up on time. And then she says to them, she never paid me. All of this was free all this stuff that she was doing for her. I'm like, ma'am, you have four children. And that's what they asked her too. They said, you're telling us that you have four kids and you just met this woman and you become friends and you immediately just start helping her with her life for free, expecting nothing in return. And she keeps saying, yes, exactly. I just said that I would help her until she found somebody to help her. She didn't have an assistant at the time and I just wanted to help. Heather really zoning in on this. You know, she's got something burning in her back pocket. And finally she breaks and she says, oh, really? You were doing it just out of the goodness of your heart? You didn't expect anything? It wasn't to try to move up? And she pulls out her phone. 
And here I got really, really shook because I had already been saying to myself, and I said it earlier on this pod, that she seemed to be Kardashian obsessed as well as Bravo obsessed with the blacked out Range Rover naming her kid West and Kendall. And the voicemail starts to play that I'm sure Tanisha, the hairdresser, gave to Heather. And the voicemail is Monica, full volume, hyped, saying, fucking Kim K was an assistant. And look at that bitch now. I can fully admit that the whole reason why I was an assistant and putting up with all that shit was as a stepping stone, as a learning experience. Like, womp, womp, womp. There goes your entire argument, Monica. And Andy makes it clear, like, okay, Heather, you're saying this because your entire point is that Monica worked and schemed and plotted to get on the show. And she's like, yes. And Monica says something now that is probably going to bug me. And I don't know how I can prove it false, but I believe it to be false because she said, when I met Jen, I didn't even know she was on the show. Show show. I don't believe you. And she says, I applied to be on the show. And everyone looks at her like, what do you mean applied to be on the show? Like they reach out to you. And Angie's like, I was referred. That's a new burn, by the way. The new, the new white refrigerator is I applied and the glass refrigerator storing lemons is I was referred. But honestly, there is no application. So they all call BS and she's like, I, I emailed production and she does typey, typey fingers typey air fingers. You can tell she's getting agitated. And so she needs to throw some armor up. She needs to feel tough. So she says, I emailed casting and I said, your show sucks. Your ratings are shit and it's going to get canceled because you don't have the right cast. And then someone at Bravo, boy, they had a good day. They had such a good day when they found the actual email that Monica Fowler sent on November 1st, because it was a very different email. There was no grandstanding in the email. It was very it was ass kissy. It was soliciting. It was a solicitation. It was a, it was a soliciting email. So as Monica is saying, that's what I said. I'm being honest. That's what I said. We're seeing the actual email on screen that says, reaching out in regards to your casting call, exclamation point, would love more information on what needs to be done or how to move forward, period. You guys need a feisty, excommunicated Latina on the show immediately, double exclamation point. I'm your girl, exclamation point, Monica F. And that is a damn receipt. That's an intern who was given a task and came back with the, per my last email, don't you worry, we got that chain. We kept that email. We had it on the server. It was in the cloud, just waiting. Then Monica shares about how she reached out to the feds She passes a little judgment, a little light judgment of a lady saying, I wish that everybody would have worked with the feds and been on the right side of history, essentially. And I didn't realize that the affair with her brother-in-law, as in her husband's sister's husband, her sister-in-law's husband, you know what I'm saying? I didn't realize that that was over a decade ago. When she said it, I thought that it was more recent, but they worked through that, obviously, and stayed married. And she cried on the reunion talking about how hard it was to get back into the good graces of the church. And Heather seconded how hard that is to get back into the church. And when Heather seconded that and spoke up and said, it is really hard. And she, you know, that was hard work for her to get back into the church. There was a little glimmer in Monica's eyes, a little light on her face, like maybe there's hope. 
And in another moment right afterwards, she talks about being called terrible names online when people found out about the affair. And Whitney chimes in to say how horrible it was for her when people learned about how she met her husband. And again, Monica lights up and Lisa says, yes, people online can be very mean. So this whole time, it's interesting to watch the show, but also see that Monica is holding on to anything she can of trying to connect with these women who have iced her out since Bermuda. From there, there's a ton of flashbacks, so many flashbacks. And it felt like a lot to me because I literally just watched most of the season back to back. So I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need this. And I watched it on Peacock because I wanted the unedited version. And I got to say, I was so entertained. It's really, it's tragedy and it's humor. It's the best of all of it because Lisa and Whitney try to hash out their whole, what I'm calling the grief gafu, grief gafu where Lisa just sort of botched that entire handling of of the support that Whitney needed. But Lisa is so confident in how she's telling it, but she's remembering it wrong. It was giving Denise, it was giving that level of of incorrect, but confident. Lisa's like, I went to the event and I hugged you and I gave a gift to Heather and I hugged you. And they show the footage and she hugs somebody else, a complete different person walked up to her to say hi as she was handing Heather gifts. And she hugged that person and then asked Whitney, are you okay? But she did not hug Whitney. But four times she says, and I hugged you. I remember, and I hugged you. I'm like, it wasn't her. Another favorite part for me came when Angie and Lisa start to bicker about the Prism jewelry event where they were whisper fighting across Angie because Lisa felt like Angie was being a fake friend and not supporting her. Look, the backstory is Lisa thought she was having Angie's back by icing out Monica, being mean to Monica for starting the rumors that Angie's husband was having affairs with men on the side, which is the stalest, oldest, grossest, most boring rumor. And we hear it almost every season about a housewife's husband. And it's just, I'm so done with it. We got to think about other things now, people. But during that, during that back and forth with Angie and Lisa, they won't stop. They cut to Andy for literally 1.5 seconds. And the look of pure joy and amusement on his face as he's watching them go back and forth, it really made me think about the quote, if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. And Andy could be the poster for that. The entire time that's happening, Monica is just hating on Lisa from the corner, eye rolling at everything. The cameras are making sure to show us how much she's eye rolling at Lisa. And then Andy put his shady boots on. Remember the shady boots from from the clubhouse? He put them on and he starts asking Monica about her divorce. He says, it looks like you have $6,600 a month settlement. That's pretty good, right? And everybody agrees that's pretty good. And he says, but the value of your business during your divorce proceeding, it was, it was valued at $0. Hmm, how can that be? And for a bit of background, Monica's social media account has like over 300,000 followers. And she had a really large number of followers before she joined the show. It's rare for a housewife to have a ton unless they're already a well-known person like, you know, a Denise Richards or something. But she had a bunch because she had a business I think it's like baby blankets or baby swaddle. I don't know. And I don't care. I can't have any more information in my mind about this woman. But her social media following, that account was about that kid's contraption. She then renamed it and turned it into hers. It's smart, but it's also kind of taking a shortcut, right? 
all those people weren't necessarily following that account for her. It was for baby product, but she made that her account. And now it's her in the dresses on the salt flats. And her answer, which is a good one, and it's going to work for the next decade, is COVID hit. I had to shut down manufacturing. I'm behind. But the ladies are like, no, but we placed orders. And she's like, well, I was down from 2021 through 2020, 2020 through 2022. Now I'm back up. And like, so are we going to get our orders that we've paid for and we still haven't gotten? It felt a little sketchy. It felt a little haphazard, not like. And Andy's like, you're on the show. There's never a better time to sell something than when you're on the show. And everybody's like, yeah. So it felt odd. I think maybe Monica is one of those people that like she was so how could she possibly think about it? She had so many plates spinning in the air. She can't also sell baby blankets or whatever it was. We're just going to say it's baby blankets. And that's the funny thing is that would have been the most lucrative and the best move for her life. Like maybe if she had let half of the plots go. This is my theories again. If she had let half of the plots go and focus more on her business and success and just doing her and, and being honest and maybe having a dinner, sitting the ladies down at a dinner and saying, I have something to tell you. It's going to feel groundbreaking, but I'm going to explain it all to you. You can ask me anything you want. I had this account for this purpose. This was my contribution. The hairdresser is involved, blah, blah, blah. I think it could have been a different season. Still is shocking, still is groundbreaking, but she would have been at the helm. She would have been able to tell her own story, which again, coming in, we thought that she understood that that is putting yourself in the position of power saying, here's my thing. Here's what I did before anybody starts rumors about me. Here's what's real and here's what's not. But alas, from there, we get into the rumors and the nastiness. And Andy loves saying that. So we hear that a few times. The rumors. And the nastiness. And poor Sean. Angie and Sean, they really went through it. I don't think they got enough credit for just being raked over the coals this season by Meredith going for them or alluding to going for them. And then Monica telling everybody that rumor on camera. Oy. And as Meredith and Angie are going back and forth, Monica's giggling like a fan. She's just one of us up there just kicking her feet. And Angie finally directs her anger to Monica saying, look, she's been weaseling behind my back since week one going to everybody on the stage, telling them this horrible rumor about my husband that's not true. And Monica's like, yeah, you finally made it. As in like, she's there's finally a storyline or attention on her after however many seasons. And Angie loses it. She says, oh, I've been, um, I've made it. I've been here. I check all the boxes. I deserve to be here. You fucking Range Rover under a fucking carport chills. That's a read. That's a solid read that landed. For me, that landed because I had the same thoughts. I really did. I was like, you got a blacked out Range Rover and a modest, humble home with a carport. What are you doing? Real question. What are you doing? But Angie wasn't done. She goes to a darker place and this is going to set us up for more drama for next week. She says, spending your kids money on a fucking purse, irresponsible. Sending a bad message to your daughters. As soon as she says daughters, as soon as the word daughters and kids money comes out, Monica goes to another level. She starts yelling, don't talk about my kids. And we're left waiting for more for next week. All right. So here are my main takeaways. Number one, again, what a season, what a franchise. Who would have thunk it? And to keep it all straight, on the show we learned, 
Monica was partially behind Reality Von Teese, but also Heather's hairdresser of three years named Tanisha, knew and had a change of heart when Heather called her when they were in Bermuda after getting suspicious about Monica. Okay. On the show, we saw that Monica had been at Meredith's store, was blonde at the time, and pretended to have never been there before during filming. As a reminder, too, Angie, the other Angie, and her husband last season, I believe, owned up to having a troll account. Like, the husband did it. He went and he started a troll account. He confessed about it on camera. He said he was sorry. And I feel like people got over it pretty quickly. Of course, she's not on the show anymore. But people got over it pretty quickly, way, way faster than this. Maybe it's because it was a husband. And my question would be, was it the husband? I don't know. As I said, off camera is where the real back and forth is happening. From the moment that finale aired, Tanisha, the hairdresser, who used to be besties with Koa and Monica behind the Reality Von Teese account, has been dropping audio, Monica leaving voicemails for people, talking about wanting to be a star on Bravo, them going back and forth about what to post to the account. Monica removed Salt Lake City housewife from her Instagram bio, which is one of the oldest attention-grabbing tricks in the book. Murillo, Jen's assistant speaking for Jen's camp, talks to Jenny and Blaze and says that Monica seems like a stalker, etc. Now, in his interview with Bravo and Blaze, Murillo, Jen's assistant and close friend, says that he didn't think that Tanisha was very involved, that she kind of had a passive role, right? And other people thought that as well, like, oh, Tanisha probably knew about this and just was wringing her hands for a year, knowing this information, three years really, knowing this information, feeling so bad, but not really wanting to start trouble. Well, guess what? Koa, the dress designer slash good friends with Monica, slash was part of the brain trust behind Reality Von Teese with Tanisha and Monica, is dropping voicemails of his own. And his voicemails are of Tanisha. When she is messaging, I guess, him and also Monica, I don't know who's all in the chain, but Tanisha is very excitedly talking about the Reality Von Teese account. What we assume is the Reality Von Teese account. What else would it be? There's a lot of deductive reasoning that's required here. We got we to gotta stick with it. The language is about to get real dirty around here because Koa exposed Tanisha voicemails and screenshots where she's saying things like, Jen's a cunt. Let's expose her. No more playing nice. I think Andy is saving face and Bravo has a bigger plan than what we can understand. Yeah, in phase two, let's get fucking ratchet. Giggles. Even if she knows who it is, she can't prove it. So fuck being nice. Let's tell the world what a cunt she is because she's a cunt. So that, of course, is referring to Jen Shaw wondering who's behind the leaked videos and stuff at the time. And she's like, we're putting it all on the line. So she's very active. The whole point of Koa leaking that is showing us how very, very involved Tanisha was, which I assumed from the very beginning, and I think most people would. And I couldn't understand why Heather was keeping her close, but I'm sure she just wanted as many voicemails as she could get. Dropping all of that, Koa also wanted to make it very clear, like, look, the account never came for any of the other women. That wasn't its purpose, and that's not what we did. It was just about Jen, exposing Jen. Something else Koa dropped were receipts of DMs back and forth with Heather of him telling her before the audio leaked about the audio and sending it to her. So Heather knew before March 1st when it all dropped, she knew about Jen 
being very verbally abusive and threatening physical violence against her staff, allegations of her not paying her staff, etc. And in these DMs, it shows Heather saying to Koa, can I share this with Meredith? I trust her completely. And he says, yes, please do. She says, can I share this with Bravo Production? He says, that's fine. And then I don't think he ever heard back from her about what happened with that. But she was very supportive to him saying, you're so talented, keep your chin up, etc. And also stating clearly, this is wrong, the way that she's speaking to you and the way that you're being treated. So today, I wonder if Heather is still considering Tanisha part of her core inner circle, or if she's realized that I think Tanisha is going to play whatever side is working out at the moment. I do think Monica was being honest when she said that Tanisha set it up because she did have screenshots of that, of Tanisha saying, let's use this email. Let's do that. And she did seem very active with the account. So Tanisha, to me, was not a passive partner in this, which again is not necessarily a bad thing. The purpose of it was to show the world how awful Jen Shaw was being. The issue was that Tanisha had this secret while she's Heather's hairdresser. And apparently Heather and the others hated that account, which I did not realize. I did not realize that they saw that account as a villain in their lives. Like I don't think much about what we saw about Monica is necessarily very real, real. That's my opinion. But I do think she was being honest about Tanisha. After hearing that audio of Monica and her mom that Tanisha allegedly also leaked, it's clear to me that she and her mom knew that she had to really make a scene and be memorable, probably especially her first season, but just in general. And they probably put a lot of work into these storylines. The whole go to Bermuda and your family and this and I'll steal your car, quote unquote, and bring it back and we'll fight at the Mexican restaurant. It's effort. It's more than some other housewives do in other franchises. I won't name names, but we got some bumps on some logs and at least these two are clocking in. It's not necessarily what we want. We don't want to turn into the hills, do we? I hope that we can still find interesting people who just have things going on that to them are normal life, but to us are aspirational or amusing. And there's no way to know if somebody's lying or not. You have to trust your instincts and you have to just trust the facts that you have. So I think Monica was lying about a lot of things, but I also think that there were moments where she was being mostly honest or honest. But I think the Greek mafia storyline was one too many storylines and that did her in because that's what caused Heather to then call Tanisha. It was too many weird feelings about Monica. She could have been selling baby blankets with that energy. With that Greek mafia energy, she could have probably made, I don't know, who knows what these reality stars make. What do we think Robin makes off of those damn hats? It's got to be good enough that she keeps doing it. And the main feeling I'm getting from the ladies on Salt Lake City is that it feels like they don't want to film with a secretly thirsty, obsessed fan versus a bad person. Like they'll film with Jen because Jen, I think, was Real Housewives obsessed as well. But it, she didn't like drive by people's houses and try to work for one of them. This was a little bit of like salt burn. And it's the same way that Jersey brings up Jackie taking that picture with Teresa at a book signing years before she was a housewife. And they belittle Jackie for it, calling her like a fan of the show before she joined. But to that, I say, good luck finding the kind of person that wants to be on Bravo, wants to be a housewife but also that doesn't watch Bravo. There's no way. And I think there's room for the casitas among the mansions. I don't think everybody has to be 
filthy, crazy, wealthy to be on Real Housewives. And yeah, she's fronting a little bit. I think it's it's giving like Southern charm when Catherine would be driving the tricked out Range Rover, but she had like a messy apartment rental. And you're like, um, one of these things is not like the other. I just checked and it, Catherine had a Rolls Royce. That girl went down there and she got herself a Rolls Royce. Y'all, I got to lay down. Like citizens arrest to whatever car dealership salesperson gave Catherine Dennis a Rolls Royce on lease. What are we doing? Monica is such an interesting character, though, because you think about how hype we get. Yeah, my cat likes her. You think about, but she loves drama. You think about how hype we get for like the Taylor Swift song Mastermind and thinking about somebody who wants something, who puts in the work. But where does that turn distasteful? Where does that turn creepy? And I think that's what a lot of people are trying to figure out with Monica. And it's also a question of, can you be trusted? And sure, there are a lot of housewives that it's like, no, you cannot be trusted at all. But this is a different kind. This is like a sneaky, snarky kind behind your back, use things against you. Thirsty will step on anyone to get ahead energy that other housewives just hide better. Now, in Jen's cease and desist, it was written to Koa, it was written to Monica, and it was written to another person named Savannah Gonzalez. And she put something in her stories within the last 24 hours, and she says, Point to make here is that everyone played a part. No need to calculate who did exactly what at this point. If you're mad, you are spelled wrong. At the account, then be mad at everyone. It was not just one person, all capitalized. All five people. Five were involved in some way, call it what you want. A, she says, ran the account. B, supported the account. C, supported my friends. D, only DM'd a few times. E, posted a few times. F, you are fucking involved. The end. Own it. Don't minimize it. So I don't know if that's directed at Tanisha. I have to assume that it is. Or Monica or all. But I feel like Monica said, look, I'm one of a few. There were a few. And I mean, that's the thing. There were too many of them. I don't know how they thought that they could either keep that a secret. I think they probably should have come out and said who was behind the account after they stopped posting after Jen Shaw was convicted and going to jail. And I don't know what the legal side of that was because she was trying to pursue legal action. Utah is a one party state, which means that it is lawful to record oral or telephone conversations with the consent of just one party of two, barring any criminal or tortious intent. By that same token, if those video recordings of Jen Shaw yelling and losing her mind at COA slash just being her normal self on a Thursday night, probably, if those were taken from Jen Shaw's private security footage from inside her home that someone accessed with a password, that's where I refer to the Bravo docket. I'll have to go check and see what they're saying about that. As far as I can see, it was not pursued after Jen was convicted. At this point, I can't even remember why Tanisha hated Jen and what their connection was, or if she was just such good friends with Koa and Monica that she just wanted to be part of this. And again, the biggest things against Monica are the unpaid bills at Beauty Lab, the aliases at Beauty Lab. Why do that? That gives grifter. Why do you go to a place of business, a small business, you know, woman owned, all of that aside that, you know, really, why mess with that? But to any business and give three aliases 
with the same birthday, sloppy, and then not be paying those bills. That, the drive-bys, the fighting with her mom, the I'm going to be, I want to be a famous Bravo star, the Kardashian-esque car and kids' names. It is a bit much. It's very aspirational. It is quite fangirlish. So I do understand that because what we hope for and we look for in a housewife of somebody is someone who knows who they are, is super confident in themselves, or has a dream and maybe lacks a little bit of confidence, but is striving to do something or be something, or is this just quirky person on their own, a la a Sutton, you know, but we're not looking to somebody who just wants solely based on what others have. The fact that Monica didn't focus on her own business to me is one of the biggest red flags, that she was so worried about creating drama that she couldn't focus on income and securing her own bag. So she's crying about going to buy a luxury bag to fit in when she could be making actual money by selling her baby stuff. Make it make sense. Now, next week, Monica is going to bring out a burn book. And be sure to drink your Ovaltine, kids, because this is also a promo for the new Mean Girls. A new Mean Girls movie is coming out. We're going to pretend like the first one didn't happen, or this is their kids. I don't know what the angle is, but a new Mean Girls movie is coming out, and Bravo is going to make sure we know about it. Meanwhile, Real Housewives continues to have an influence on our current world, as crazy and ridiculous as it is, a congressman out of Long Beach City used Heather's receipts, proof, timeline, screenshots in a speech and in a tweet talking about evidence to prove Donald Trump took illegal payments from foreign governments. And of course, Heather Gay liked that and clapped at it online because who wouldn't love just being in the zeitgeist? So Heather's snowflake is secure for next season. Lisa's Meredith's. And if I had to guess, I would say they probably will bring Monica back. I don't think her dig about, I sent an email and I said, your show sucks and your ratings. People are saying that that's going to get kicked off. I don't think so. They love ratings and she is delivering and the chaos is palpable. And I think that they will keep her on, but I'm spent. I'm going to keep an eye on the drama that keeps popping off online with all the different receipts and photos and stuff. But I feel like at this point we get it. It was this kind of unbridled intensity and chaos that made me stop following Reality Vontese and I think also Block. <laughs> this just wears me out. It's this tit for tat, like kids fighting in a middle school cafeteria. Like I just want to stand up and throw my lunch tray on the ground and just scream, all y'all fake, all y'all fake. No, all y'all are enough. And with that, I bid you adieu. That was highlights of the season, things that I noticed that stood out to me about Monica, about different elements, knowing what we knew by the end of the season. And then recap of Reunion Part 1. We'll be back with a recap of Reunion Part 2. And is it three? I don't know if it's a three or four-parter. I'll find out. But we will recap it and we'll see what Monica has in her burn book, sponsored by Mean Girls. I, on the other hand, am sponsored by no one, but I do love Cypress Hemp and they occasionally send me gummies. So check them out. They ship to all 50 states. It's a small woman owned business at Cypress Hemp. They do have a discount code THANKS15 for 15% off of your first order with them. And then they gave me a code BBDB for 10% off. I don't get a kickback from that. That is just because I am a huge fan of them. Very high quality, in my opinion, very reliable product. They have like this little bottle, it's liquid. And I feel like I am, 
Alice in Wonderland taking a little sip of this little liquid bottle and then floating off. Yay. It's the best. I highly recommend that tiny little bottle or I recommend the Delta 9 mixed berry. That's what I always recommend. If you're a newbie, start with half of that, which is about two, two and a half milligrams and see how you feel. Until then, if you're going to air dirt on yourself, don't do it the way Monica did it. Mention it all. (laughs) 